Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. This is episode 26 of the Channel Journeys podcast, sponsored by my company, Channel Journeys Consulting. I am Rob Spee, your host, founder of Channel Journeys, and I'm on a mission to help SaaS vendors accelerate growth and create powerful partner ecosystems. And today, our partner ecosystems look a lot different than they did just 10 years ago. Back then, you had your distributors, your VARs, system integrators, some service providers. That was pretty much the channel. But now the channel really is exploding with everyone becoming a channel partner, either as influencers, there are affiliates, there's the developer channel, we have alternative channels like CPAs and marketing agencies, and even your customers are potential partners these days. So recruiting, enabling, and managing all these diverse partner types that require different types of incentive models, different compensation, that could be a huge challenge. And that is the challenge that today's guest set out to solve. Bryn Jones is the founder and CEO of a new channel tech company that was formed out at the Y Combinator Startup Incubator back in 2017. And they are already making a mark with clients like Evernote, Unbounce, and Intuit. I found this company, PartnerStack, when I was at SaaS Connect earlier this year. That's also where I met two prior podcast guests who are solving different pain points in growing a SaaS channel. You may recall Sunir Shah of AppBind and Bob Moore of Crossbeam, who were both on prior episodes. I talked with Bryn about PartnerStack, about tips for making SaaS partnerships profitable. And if you're a SaaS vendor looking to accelerate growth through multiple types of partnerships, this podcast is definitely for you. So let's just jump right in with Bryn Jones. Here we go. Hey, Bryn, welcome to Channel Journeys. Awesome to have you on the show today. Yeah, Rob, thanks for having me on here. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So where are you calling from today? Yeah, so calling from Toronto, Canada today. It's finally bright and sunny here, and we're no longer in the midst of winter, which I feel like you know, happened all year so far. So uh, things are good on my side. Awesome. Well, this is like a Toronto twofer. I had Sunir from Toronto and now you. Yeah, it's um, it's funny. Like Toronto's actually a pretty good place for partnerships. A lot of like mindshare going on up here. So uh, and the entire tech ecosystem, it's really, really going through and improving. I came to Toronto 2014 and I've watched it mature and it's been great for everything. I was just chatting about SaaS hotspots recently. And obviously the Bay Area is a big one. New York City is it seems to be a pretty hot spot, but it sounds like Toronto's pretty active too in the SaaS world. Yeah, you know, AI has really taken off here. But the truth is Toronto started, like the ecosystem was really built, um, you know, in early 2010 off the backs of ad tech. And so there's a lot of experience here because of that. Then we had some major players like Shopify that came through the door and that's really helped the ecosystem out. Now we have a lot of AI that we're working on, but, you know, lots and lots and lots of enterprise software. Cool. Well, why don't we get started with what you're working on right now? What mission are you on? Yeah, so I work on PartnerStack. There's a team of about, now I guess, 35 of us as of this week. That's growing wow. every, every week, it seems. And what it is that we do is our goal is to make partnerships profitable. We want to in- introduce channel and really like modernize channel for both SaaS vendors as well as for channel partners. And it's about improving the experience for both. So we're the technology layer that sits in between the two. And our platform is actually a marketplace where 
we can actually connect new channel partners with ISVs. So you said, I want to make, or your company is making partnerships profitable. That's the assumption that many partnerships are not profitable. Yeah. Well, you know, like we know just how much of a share that partnerships represent and channel represent as far as revenue. I always say that, you know, like there has been people that have tried to do innovative things in this space, but for the last 19 years, really not much has changed but it still represents, you know, 30 to 40% of all SaaS revenue. And it's been kind of left on its own in the corner. And we're seeing a lot of new vendors now come into the space over the last couple of years, because it's really, you know, the last component of the stack that can generate revenue for enterprise software companies. Yeah, absolutely. And Jay McBain talks a lot about the third phase of automation, and, and this is it that you're working on. So, Brian, I want to dive in big time into partner stack and what you guys are doing. I think it's super cool. We've spoken about it. I saw you guys first out at SAS Connect where I met Sunir. But first, I've got a lightning round for you. Perfect. Shoot, a- shoot ahead. Fire away. Okay. Three fast questions for you. What's the biggest trend you see taking place in the channel? Ooh, the biggest trend that I see taking place in the channel. We're seeing the channel centralized. Like we see a lot of programs that maybe would run independently before that are now all coming together. And the reason for that being is this shadow channel that's now starting to appear. So the channel used to only be, you know, resellers, only VARs, but everything's now falling under the channel. And, you know, second thing, I guess, is channel seems to be sitting much more under marketing these days than it has under sales. Yeah, it's funny. Channels is like coming out of the woodwork everywhere. Everybody's becoming a channel partner, it seems. And I was just reading, even Microsoft, they were saying you can view them as a channel partner now with their new marketplace and what they're doing there. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's in, in the search of distribution and channel partners is the next step in that, that search. And you know, we see a lot of companies betting really big on this and it pays off. So second question, what's one thing you'd like to see change in the channel? Yeah, so I would love for channel experts in these spaces to really be heard at the board level. I don't think the channel's being talked enough by executives yet. Often channel, someone gets tapped on the shoulder and tasked to go through it and figure it out. And I think it's our responsibility as channel leaders to be able to push that conversation into the boardroom. And the way we do that is we need to talk about the uh, return on investment that it can go through and provide and how we get there. Channel is not just this you know, mythical thing that solves all. There are actionable steps that can be taken to get it off the ground. And it's really you know, one of the most important pieces of, of building like, long-term growth in your business. Yeah, that's a big one for me too, Bryn. You know, the elevation of the channel as a profession and within organizations, taking it up to the C-suite. And I've seen a few chief channel officer type roles, but we're a long ways from getting there. Like you see now the chief revenue officer and the chief marketing officer having that seat at the table in the executive suite. Yeah, it seems to be like starting to change now. And I think that just the terminology moving from you know channel to partnerships, that really opens up the opportunity that is inside of channel. In this like new language that is coming to the table, it's amazing how impactful that actually is inside of organizations. Because companies that we're working with, you know, they view their community as channel, their developer ecosystem as channel. And these are all massive bets that companies go through and make. So it's really interesting to watch the evolution. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun. I was just chatting with a, another guy who I'm going to have on the podcast who is a uh, channel partner and, and bit of a distributor himself. And he says, man, I've never had so much fun in the channel. It's just there's so much change and so many great things happening and so many opportunities for innovation. 
Yeah, it's a pretty exciting time, that's for sure. All right, third question for you. How do you stay on top of what's happening? This is a period of exponential innovation, a lot of change in the channel. Where do you get your news? How do you stay on top of the all that's happening? Yeah, it's really important. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm the CEO over here. We're, you know, 35 people. Uh, I'm on customer calls. I want to talk to our customers. I want to know the challenges that they're going through. I want to know the options that they're looking at. Still, so many channel programs are kind of held together with duct tape and glue. And, you know, but it, in that duct tape and glue, uh, we're going through and finding opportunities to go through and innovate. And so it's our customers that are going to tell us, you know, what is required or the different hacks and workarounds that they've been using. And it's, you know, combining their experiences with with our knowledge to go through and, and push that forward. But it's definitely the people that are on the ground. Well, that's a good answer for your investors, too, at your stage of your company, I would imagine, where you're still early on. And or do you think you're still finding that product market fit or did you already test out and prove that? Yeah, we've definitely proven product market fit now. I mean, the result and the way that we go through it and test that is people that select us get so much value out of it that they're being recognized by their bosses and executives at companies. So, you know, one of the best case studies and several times over now that we have is people that purchase us, go through it and implement it in the channel, get promoted. And that's a pretty exciting thing for us, something we certainly take pride in. And I think from my side of things, it's like I'm a very product oriented person. So it's always important as I'm leading the company to talk to our customers, to hear what they're saying. Yeah, that's that's an awesome statement that people get promoted using your product. Yeah. That's a, a great end game. Why don't we go back to the beginning of how you started the company? It's interesting how you got going and you even had a different name for the company when you first got it started. Yeah, I mean, we started this company from another company. We started a company, it was called Pod. And Pod was effectively a worse version of Slack. I mean, like the product wasn't as good. We certainly didn't have that nice growth curve up and to the right, but we had to figure something out. And we actually started this company in grad school. And what we figured out was we unknowingly built a sales team because we didn't have any money to go through and hire salespeople. So we developed relationships with marketing firms and web development firms. We simply said, if you send us customers, we'll send you a commission. And we put this, I think we called it refer a customer program on, on our landing page at the time. Um, we put it on our landing page and it was only when larger companies started much larger than the four of us in a, in a bedroom at college, larger companies started reaching out to us saying, how did you build your channel program? And we said, what's a channel program? <laughs> you didn't even know you had a channel. Yeah, we didn't know what it was whatsoever. Now, this is like one of these like serendipitous things that typically happens in the Bay Area, but actually happened in Toronto. At the time, we were here for about six months and we walked down the road and spoke with Shopify. They had just opened up their office in Toronto and we talked with the people that launched their channel program. And at the time, Shopify had 65 people managing their channel program, but it was representing about 20% of their revenue. And this was before they went public. At that stage, was their channel program primarily like a developer program? Yes. Yeah. Their channel program was primarily developer program. They like walked us through the vision of what they're going to go through and build and explain that channel for them was going to be their competitive advantage. It was going to be their moat. And they were very big at investing in their channel and investing in companies that would build businesses supporting Shopify companies. And they've been very successful at it. So they walked us through the vision and then they walked us through, hey, you know what, if we're going to build this, this is what we would need from day one. And they walked through every single step along the way and effectively gave us a product roadmap that we followed like, pretty strictly for the last couple of years. So just serendipitous luck that you stumbled upon 
a channel when you were building it, not even knowing you were building a channel. And then Shopify, who had a need because of their channel success, and they turned to you to, to fill that need? Well, they didn't even turn to us to fill the need at the time because we really had zero. Okay. They walked us through how they you know, put it all together and all the manual processes that they were doing. We weren't even a company at that point in time. We were still debating whether, you know, like what the next version of, you know, Pod was, which turned out to be GrowSumo. Were you still in college in this time? Yeah, I was in grad school. Actually, I just okay. made the decision to drop out of grad school to go through <laughs> and, and pursue this like Slack for nonprofit thing. So I was in grad school and anyway, went and spoke with Shopify and they walked us through everything. And, you know, we applied to a business accelerator, business incubator called Y Combinator. And it's a very prestigious accelerator incubator program based in, at the time, Mountain View. And it's pushed out the likes of Stripe, Reddit, Airbnb, Dropbox. You know, so we were very like kind of two, three weeks into the idea, still hadn't really written a line of code for it and was accepted to the program back in 2015. And that led us down the journey of, you know, formally becoming a company. That wasn't easy to get in, was it? They have a lot of applicants. Yeah, there's, um, from what I understand, fewer people get into Y Combinator than they do into Harvard's MBA program. Man. And so, you know, certainly a lot of luck in, in involved with that, but we made the most of our experience. Uh, we graduated that summer and were, and were voted one of the top seven um, companies of our class and then really just got back to work. What year was that? That was 2015. 15, Okay. We returned to Canada, to Toronto. We said, saw all the great stuff that was happening here, saw the opportunity to build a really you know, long-lasting company here, here in Toronto. And in 2016, built enterprise software that we could actually take to market. We learned just how hard that was going to be. In 2017, that ended up going to market. With PartnerStack? With PartnerStack, yep. We were GrowSumo at the time. We've rebranded to PartnerStack actually only in 2018. Okay. Things are still happening very quickly over here. And what was the core problem that you were solving with PartnerStack? So the core problem is actually channel recruitment. It's very hard to recruit and engage channel partners. The way that we saw it was if you centralize all the channel opportunities in one location, you improve the partner experience. You enable partners, instead of forcing them to go and log into seven different portals to register deals for seven different companies and have seven different terms of services, our mission and vision was to centralize all of that and effectively build you know, the world's largest sales force. We learned in doing that, the only way for it to happen was actually give the software vendors, the people that were managing these programs, the tools and technology required to manage massive amounts of people. So everything from marketing automation all the way down to commission payment and, and, and fulfillment. And so we learned that in order to solve problem A, we actually needed to fix the problem of giving these companies the technology so they could do their job and be successful. And how does that differ from other PRM systems, that partner relationship management systems that are out there today? Yeah. So all the PRM systems that are out there largely operate like a CRM. So, you know, salespeople generally do not like CRMs. You can go through it and look at the success rate of them actually using a CRM. No one wants to just register a deal and, and, and then track it so that their bosses can go in and manage it. So we're, we're different in that um, we provide all the same like marketing automation, analytics for both the company and the partner. 
but we also facilitate payouts. And there's no PRM or CRM type system on the market that does that. Partners know when they're going to get paid, how they're going to get paid, and we facilitate that. And then secondly, we're not just the technology, we're actually tied into this larger network. So we view ourselves as a LinkedIn for partnerships, if you will. Whereas once I'm a partner and, and, and I'm on the platform, I have the capacity of selling for multiple products. And that is not possible on PRMs today. Multiple products, meaning from multiple vendors? Multiple products from multiple vendors on one dashboard. That's what partners that can do. It's interesting hearing you talk about it reminds me of my conversation with Bob Moore, whose new company is Crossbeam. And Bob was telling me there's a network effect with his his product because he is sharing data, taking data from vendors and partners. And the more partners and vendors who are on it, the more valuable the whole network and system becomes. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that there's a lot of, I, I know Bob well, I, I, we've talked about like the differences in, in, in our businesses, but it's, it's very interesting for what's happening. I mean, like we think of ourselves as a data company. We think of ourselves as we're building this, like we're building partnerships and graphing them and learning how to actually connect those partnerships. Now, fortunately for us, we have the capacity of actually doing that and facilitating it. And it's one of our value propositions. So for a partner, partner gets more value, the more vendors that they are representing who are on your platform. Yes, correct. And the same is true for the vendor. The more partners who are using the platform, the more value they get. Exactly. There is this like growing network effect that we're already seeing. I mean, the average active channel partner in our network is selling for more than five programs. You know, we provide a pretty good lift for new companies that, that are coming into, into the group. And, and that's how we differentiate from a lot of the PRMs. I mean, outside of the actual functionality and, and, and the way that we operate, you know, the long-term vision is to create this connected network and reduce the overhead costs for recruiting channel partners. And I don't just mean for like individuals, I mean channel partners as big as like a financial institution or a traditional VAR, all of whom were, were just going through an onboarding. So it's pretty cool. I think early days, a lot of people thought we were more of an affiliate platform, but you know, like as of yesterday, we just had a channel partner close $400,000 sale for one of our companies. And, and that's certainly not happening on any of the affiliate networks. One of the things that really caught my attention when I saw you guys out at SaaS Connect was the flexibility of your program and what it can do in terms of different incentive models. And you were talking at the beginning of all the different partner types that are out there. There are resellers under a reseller discount model. There are referral affiliates and agents getting commissions, you know, all these different models. And it seems like your system's pretty well set up to handle that. Yeah, we can handle every partner type that is there. We designed the system so that it's really modular. We recognize the trend that, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, you know, there's a centralized, like everything centralizing and falling under partnerships. And it's very important to keep it, to build a tool that can manage everything. And then to enable the actual channel managers, community managers, like partner managers to start experimenting and running tests. So, you know, which incentive gets your partners to tick? You're not going to learn that off the bat. And up until now, it's been very hard to change that, whereas our system's designed just exactly for that. Yeah, I'm curious what you're finding, because I find in my talks with clients and, and my experience in the industry, a lot of vendors are still, I'd say, old school in their thinking and hesitant to, to offer different models. And they get stuck in one model. Yeah, that's people definitely get stuck in a model of you know providing discounts, right? That's the way things were done in 1999. That's the way things should be done in 2019. Well, the reality is, is the world's changed a lot in that time. 
And the best thing that we tell people to do, like it's one of our onboarding processes is pull your partners and figure out what they want and give them a few options, right? You run A-B tests in email campaigns. Why aren't you A-B testing your incentive structure? And what works for one group won't work for another. But let's be scientific in the way that we approach this and leave as many opinions as we possibly can at the door. And the result for that we're finding, because it's like, if we think of ourselves as a data company, is we're finding, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest incentives that's there. People want commissions, right? Like, you know, if you were to go through and partner with a major company, like, like that's one of the biggest and most surprising trends that we're finding. Is that they prefer the commissions. Not in every case, but in yeah. a vast majority of cases, we're seeing commissions be like a, a huge central point. And we just had someone pay out a hundred thousand dollar commission on our on our platform based on the four hundred thousand dollars sale that was sold yesterday. And you know, I remember talking with these people, and like you know, they didn't think that was going to work. And it's awesome that it does. And no one's been able to like leverage data to go through and figure this out before. And because of our network, you know, we have a lot of great findings that we can start sharing with the community. So in the Shopify example, and I don't know if they ever became a customer of yours, but in their API developer world, how would you handle that? What benefits would you provide a a SaaS company who is developing out their, their developer partner, you know, technology partnership program? Yeah. So the first thing is you actually need to give people a portal, right? You need to give people the technology to be successful, to work alongside you. You can't today expect to hire an employee, bring them in and not give them a seat on Salesforce or in Slack and and think that they're going to be successful. The same thing is true for your partners. So what we do is we give the vendor a portal. That portal can be installed on their landing page. And what that effectively is, is that's saying you're open to doing business. It's a login that the partner can go into and on their dashboard, they can register deals. They can submit leads. They can close sales. They can actually go through and procure accounts on behalf of their customers through our platform now. And so it gives them a dashboard to work from. On top of it, the partners have the capacity to go through and access materials, whether they're marketing or education materials, so they can get up to speed on your product. And then that gives them a line of communication where they can talk directly to your team and really be a, like a, you know, a, another arm of your team. Um, so that's what we provide for the partners. On the company side, we provide all the tracking tools, analytics, partner automation, and all the way down to payouts. We are actually the ones that will facilitate the payout on behalf of companies to the partners mm-hmm. and partners, partners like that. Okay, cool. And so really that, that, that landing page the, or the portal that they come to is irregardless of the type of incentive model that the vendor is on. Yes. Yeah. Regardless of the incentive model that the partner is on, they'll log in. We give companies the capacity to create what we call is groups. Um, you can group different partner types. It could be, you know, East coast versus West coast. It could be, you know, resellers versus community. And those groups have access to specific things. So they have specific incentives. They have specific education materials. They receive specific email campaigns. And you can actually graduate people from group to group. So if you you know, have a bronze, silver, gold program, you can graduate them automatically over time based on activities. So it's very modular. And, and that's what we really pride ourselves on. Are your customers primarily SaaS companies? Yeah. So not only were they SaaS companies early days, but they were SaaS that focused on selling to SMB. 
Hmm. We've since moved up market and we're handling larger and larger enterprise um, because enterprise is, you know, like clearly where the huge opportunity is. We thought about moving into more of the IT space. We certainly have demand from that coming inbound. But with the way that we're building our platform, it's so network driven that the more we target SaaS vendors, the more you know, complementary the partners that come onto our platform end up being for the entire network. Right. At right. some point in time, we'll move into something that's more than just SaaS. We actually built something two years ago that we just let sit sit on the side there, but like it started primarily and has been mainly focused on SaaS. Yeah, I think we might have talked about this earlier, kind of picking your niche, and and I'm doing the same thing with my Channel Journeys consulting practice, and really starting to focus my services on SaaS vendors as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's we're we're seeing SaaS really invest heavily in that area. So it makes them like it's a huge opportunity. Yeah, and there's still a lack of knowledge amongst many many SaaS companies of the channel. Kind of like you when you were starting, you you had a channel you didn't even know it, but a lot of I think SaaS CEOs aren't familiar with the channel and how to leverage it. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? It's it's our responsibility to not only connect you know, our potential customers, like one of the biggest things we do when people come to us is we educate them. And so, you know, we educate them and can point them in the direction, but we also like to share, like we built our own channel program. Uh, We also have channel partners and we like to connect those channel partners with whether they're implementation specialists or people like yourself that specialize in channel and are experts in that area. We like to connect our buyers with those third parties that can help them go through and, and really implement the best program possible. Yeah, we're all going to benefit and the customer's going to benefit in the end of elevating the knowledge and capability of the channel for the SaaS companies. Yeah, you know what? I think that this is one of the funniest things that we see in the market is there's so many people playing in this space that don't run their own channel program. Yeah. And if you are a company like and you provide channel services to people and you don't have your own channel program, I mean, like, I think it's pretty telling on like the level of expertise that's 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 there. So that's something that we've invested in heavily over here, even from day one, because we knew like we were not going to be hypocrites. I was just listening to a Saster podcast, and I can't remember who the guest was, but he was talking about the channel, and they went all in on the channel almost from day one. And he said the most important thing they did was develop their APIs. Even before their kind of user experience and user interface, they focused on developing the API so that they could have partners developing solutions together with their products. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we found that there's no one right way to do this yet. We always tell people that are very early days is, who do you think your channel partner is? Describe them to us. And they go through and describe a few. And they're like, oh, it's like these three large organizations, or it's this one specific company, or it's this, like, massive partner type. And we immediately say, okay, so how many people are you working with right now that are like that? And often the answer is zero. Or, hey, we had someone come knock on the door. And, you know, taking a step back even further from like the API side of stuff, the first thing people need to do is they need to hang a sign on the door that says we're open for business. And the way you do that is you just put up a form and you say, if you're a channel partner, please apply to our program. And uh, then you start tracking the channel people that come through there. Or is that person a developer partner? Is it another ISV? Is it a VAR? Is it... You know, there's so many different types of people and, and your channel partners are going to tell you who, who, like, who they really need to be. Yeah, that's a great idea. Your doors are open and just see who starts coming through. Yeah, yeah. You run experiments with ads and everything else inside of your business. Why aren't you doing it with channel? 
Yeah. I thought it was interesting how your platform allows you to do that A-B testing. It reminded me of when HubSpot came out and made it so easy to A-B test marketing campaigns. Yeah. You know what? Like We certainly are standing on the shoulders of experienced companies like HubSpot and just now making... It's also... You know, people have been trained on how to use HubSpot. People have been trained how to use Salesforce, how to use outreach, how to use these marketing automation systems. And so, like, why not give those people those same tools for them to run their channel with? Yeah, exactly. I also think that that's how you elevate the conversation of the board. Because if you, like, and into the C-suite. Because if you start talking their language versus inventing your own, which is, I think we're all guilty in channel four. Um, they'll understand the value and, and the return that you're going to provide. Yeah. Yeah. Come in with their language, not our channel acronyms. Yeah. I'm curious, as a SaaS company yourself, what are some of the key metrics that you're tracking to measure the performance of your company? Yeah. So, I mean, clearly revenue is something that everybody checks, but that's more of an output than it is actually an input. So we track a pipeline, right? you like, Clearly, we know how many new companies have we reached out to, how many demos have been booked, where are people at in contract. But then the other thing that we heavily emphasize is onboarding. It's not just enough to get them in the door. They have to go live. And then once they're live, there's this whole other partner engagement side of it is we're tracking you know, like the cross-pollination of partners and the lift that partners are providing to the rest of the companies that are in the marketplace. So it's sales and very customer success focused. Very cool stuff. I'm really, it's going to be fun watching you guys grow because I know that you will in this new, new channel model and it's, it's time for new channel tools too. So it's, it's really great to see you guys doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So Brent, I've got five rapid fire questions to learn more about your personal channel journey. Yeah. You ready? Absolutely. Okay. We'll start with where did you grow up? I grew up in Newmarket, Ontario. That's about 45 minutes north of Toronto. Okay. What inspired you to get on this entrepreneurial journey? So I was actually a member of Canada's national swim team. And I thought I was going to the Olympics. In 2011, unfortunately, I had to retire almost a year to the day before Olympic trials. What happened? I actually, um, yeah, I got injured. I got sick and the doctors told me, effectively, your career is over. Oh, man. And I actually went in thinking that I was going to become a sport administrator, went to graduate school, And in graduate school, just so happened to stumble across a business incubator. All of a sudden, I had an extra 30 hours of week in my hand where I wasn't looking at the bottom of a pool that I wanted to, you know, continue to scratch that competitive itch. So I spent my time in the business incubator in grad school, teaching myself how to code, teaching about technology, learning about what the opportunity was. And that's how I got my start is I just, you know, really enjoyed it and fell in love with it right away. That's a great story of making lemonade from lemons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we would not be here today. I would not be here today. I would not have the experiences that I had had if I had you know, gone through and completed my journey in, in swimming the way that I thought it was going to be. But I've taken all, so many of the lessons that I learned there and applied it to my you know, day-to-day life. Do you still swim? I do. Actually, yes. Yes, I absolutely do. I, I love it. Definitely not as much as I did before. <laughs> That would be very hard too. I don't think I would be like, I mean, I no way I could be the CEO of this company and, and, and do that, but it's always nice to get in the water. I was not a, a swimmer, but I got into triathlons and I hated the college swimmers because they were so far ahead of us. And then I'd have to chase them down on the bike and the run. Well, the good news is the swimming and swim and triathlons are like the least important portion of it. Watching me run is like watching a T-Rex trying to like trot down the road. So 
it's just a little funny looking. Yeah, that's what I hoped for when the guys were jumping out so much ahead of me in the out of the out of the <laughs> lake. All right. So what's been the biggest challenge you've faced so far in your channel career? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think the biggest challenge for us is the same challenge that every channel manager faces is how do you elevate the conversation to that C-suite? And the nice thing about us is I don't think our company could have been built in 2005 or 2010. The evolution of channel finally, that wave finally seems like it's hitting. Um, And I think Jay McBain really goes through and explains why that's been the case and why it's finally happening. And so timing. And so timing is on our side. That conversation finally seems to be elevating, but of course you always want it to go faster. Yeah. So that's interesting. When you're going into a new account, are you targeting the CEO or are you targeting a channel chief if, if there is one or maybe the CRO? Yeah. So we target people that are feet on the ground and we like to land and expand inside of companies. That's our strategy. That's what works for us. And our goal is always from the date that you make the buying decision, not even the purchase, but the buying decision to implementation, how do we provide you value in 90 days? What we mean by value is how do you go to your boss and point to a specific metric and say like, this is what I've accomplished in the first 90 days of the program. So that's our goal. And that works really well. So we target channel managers, people that run partnerships and other marketers that are running things like community or developer ecosystems. We reach out to them and start that conversation. So let's say there's a channel manager listening to our show, good likelihood, and they want to get a promotion and they're listening to this thinking, hmm, maybe I can try this out. How would they go about that? Do not overpromise. Channel programs take a long time to build. And the number one thing that you need to do is you need to roll out a step-by-step playbook for a 24-month period on what you're going to accomplish. And really, that if, you ha- if you're operating from day one, The first step in the first quarter is to define your partner personas the same way as you define your company personas. And if you can define those personas and find 10 active channel partners in your first 90 days that fit inside of that group, really, you know, the world is is your oyster, like is your playground. Like you can really then grow and do a lot of things from there. But it's controlling the conversation, showing the ROI, making the business case that's there, and then showing results within the first 90 and 180 days. Yeah, I was just thinking that's a good point. You know, we were talking about kind of putting a sign that we're open for business and see who walks through the door. But some people never get past that. They just they sign up every partner who blinks at them and they don't define that ideal partner profile and really think about who they should be signing up and who's going to be the right partner for them and their customer. Yeah, it's easy. Like I think of that like, you know, views, right? Like views is such a vanity metric. I mean, like even active users at this point in time is a pretty big vanity metric. What you're really looking for is active partners. Now, it's our thesis that you should open the floodgates, right? You should accept everybody that walks through your program. And you can do that on our platform by building groups and putting the specific incentive structures behind groups and letting people graduate over time. But really, there needs to be a clearly defined persona that you're targeting. And over time, you'll add like one persona, then two personas and three personas. But you need to be very defined and not just spray and pray. So after they've done that and they want to get started with Partner Stack, how would a channel manager get going with your product? Yeah. So, I mean, the same way as you'd set up any other marketing automation platform is you want to start with your email content. If partner does action, then they receive this email. Mm-hmm. Um, engagement is the hardest part of channel. Like recruiting is tough, but keeping a channel partner engaged is incredibly challenging. And so instead of you know piecing together things like MailChimp and 
every what have you to, to make it work. The channel manager then immediately starts creating like the marketing email content. After that, they flip the page to actually building the marketing materials. And you need to build marketing materials and sales materials that one, educate your, your channel partners and two, keep them engaged. So you need to not only create you know, assets that talk about your product and how it helps their clients, which is, by the way, very different than the assets you currently have that just talks about your clients and, and how that just talks about your product. You need to build the like information and then you need to build the business case for them to go through and work with you. Talk about, you know, Jane Smith in Lubbock, Texas that runs, you know, a web development agency that resells software. Don't talk about your product, but talk about the struggle that Jane goes through in working with clients. Become a thought leader in that conversation and you'll start pulling in the right channel partners. Yeah, I don't know many channel account managers thinking that way. Yeah, it's different. It is. And they they get many of them get thrown into it from a sales prior sales role and and that wasn't going well so they they say well why don't you try this channel management and and a whole nother topic there but that's really interesting what you're talking about and i think it's kind of similar to when like the hubspot analogy when tools like marketing automation tools like that started landing in the marketing departments it really empowered the front line to do a lot of things that that just seemed out of reach before absolutely i mean ultimately you want to turn channel into like an inbound channel Right, right. Like channel partners, you create the content, the channel part, like you create value, then those partners will find you. There's different ways you can go through and engage. I mean, one of the most surprising hacks that we found is actually promoting your partner program to your entire customer base. We realized this early days after looking at some of our, you know, beta users that they have channel partners that are working with them right now. And the only reason why we figured that out is. We found, you know, in some instances, multiple accounts signed up to the same address. And when we dug into it, or the company dug into it, rather, they determined that, oh, wait, that's actually a channel partner. We didn't even know that that person was on the platform. So you can run campaigns out to your customer base to to draw some of that in early days. But those are just like some quick hacks, if you will. Yeah. All right, great. Last question on your channel journey. What's the best adventure or maybe most adventurous thing that you've done outside of almost going to the Olympics? Ooh, that's a really good question. So I actually, I really like surfing. Ah. So I try to, as often as I can, get down to Costa Rica. I'm, I'm not good at surfing. I just like it. <laughs> so I'm not looking to go through it and surf on, on coral because I like my body and I don't want holes in it. So I go down to Costa Rica because it's a sandy bottom. If I like get smashed into the ground, I'm not going to walk away missing an arm or something like that. So I really, really enjoy surfing. It's very relaxing, forces you to shut off and you get some of that vitamin D, which when you live in Canada is very important. How did you learn to surf living in Canada growing up in near Toronto? So I'm not a good surfer. I just know how to catch the waves because I used to swim. Okay. And so it was all swimming. I went out to, we would go on a few training camps, some were warm over the holidays when I swam. There were a few times that there were some people on the beach with a surfboard and we just asked, hey, can we, can we use your surfboard? And that's how I really kind of got my journey started there. But the standing up whole thing and like actually riding the wave, it doesn't look pretty. But for me, the fun part is actually like just getting out there. It is. It's awesome. I lived in California for a while and taught myself to surf and I wasn't pretty, but man, it's a blast. Just love being out there. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah, I haven't gone surfing in Costa Rica. That's on my wish list. There's a beautiful town, Santa Teresa, very popular. I like to go through it and surf in Montezuma. It's just awesome. Awesome. Well, we've covered from 
surfing the channel to surfing Costa Rica. I think we'll wrap it up there. Brent, it's been fantastic talking to you. Best of luck with Partner Stack. You guys are on a tear. And I look forward to seeing you up in Toronto soon. Yeah, Rob, like really great conversation. Always love talking channel and looking forward to, to meeting you in person there. Okay, awesome. Hey guys, wow, what an awesome startup story. It started as a shot at going to the Olympics and look where he's taken it. Big thanks to Bryn for sharing what he's doing at PartnerStack, for sharing the thoughts around how you make SaaS partnerships more profitable. It's really been fun hearing the idea for PartnerStack that was formed out of his relationship with Shopify and then he's taken it from there and developing this signal PRM and marketplace platform for a variety of partner types, affiliate, agencies, reseller partners. It sounds like something that's well worth checking out. You can find all the show notes, resource links for this podcast on my website at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ26. And there you can also subscribe to Channel Journeys and not miss a single episode. Also, I've got a webinar coming up, Incentive Models for the Changing Partner Ecosystem. I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Next week, we'll be talking to Peter Thomas, the founder and CEO of the channel marketing automation company, Averitech. And it is a great show with a lot of tips on channel marketing. I look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, guys, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.